Good evening and welcome to episode 181 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamandungwa Kumalo. It's a Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast. We started slightly later than normal. Uh, I feel as though we're having back to school, uh, you know, technicalities. Uh, if anything, it should have happened yesterday. You know, when you go back to work after the December break, you tend to forget your password while well, we're doing it on the second day. Uh, so that's certainly something that uh, caught us slightly off guard. But thank you very much for joining us. Of course, if you're tuning in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Instagram, or even from Twitter, welcome to the Private Property Podcast. We come to your screens every single weekday at 7 o'clock, Gremlins allowing. Uh, and of course, I never come alone because there are always other shows that you can look forward to right here on the Private Property social media platforms. I'm talking about the first time home buyers show that comes to your screen every second uh, every wednesday rather look at me talking about every second wednesday you can see this episode is going to be though that back to school first day back except it's happening on the second day well uh we have of course the first time home buyers show that comes to your screens every wednesday at 7 45 for sc Classroom. so you can look forward to the first edition of the uh first time home buyer show for 2021 tomorrow evening and we've got the farming podcast now it used to be uh during the day but it's now at 8 p.m every tuesdays and thursdays so you can look forward to umbali nogo right after this show uh, of course at eight o'clock that's going to be a great conversation of course if you have an interest in agriculture or perhaps you want to you know explore different things that have to do uh, with agriculture or make sure that you you know go uh, do work that has to do with uh, maybe satisfying your green fingers. I always say that I, I love the idea of farming and there's so many different things that you can do when it comes to farming. I mean, the value chain is so vast. Well, that's a show that you do not want to miss out. Catch Mbali just after the show at eight o'clock on the new time slot for the farming podcast. And over the weekend, Chad brings you the Home Buyers Show at uh, every Saturday and Sunday at one o'clock. And that's certainly the Home Shoppers Show rather. That's certainly a show that you do not want to miss out. Well, we are trying new things. It's a new year. And one of the things, of course, is that we also want to, uh, you know, bring some new things. You can see already even the way that we're delivering the show is slightly different from what we're used to. One of the things, though, that we're not doing differently, that we know you absolutely love at home, is, of course, our regular competitions. We love running competitions because we also know that you love giveaways and the one that we're running uh to kick start the year is of course the Sherlock Holmes uh competition I love Sherlock Holmes I mean I've watched the series so many different times and this time around we want you to play detective and want to make sure that you have as much fun not just across our social media pages but also on our website and how it works is every single Monday we're going to be uh, sharing a riddle that's going to go across our social media pages and you have to solve the riddle so you can also go on the website then go and look for uh where the riddle essentially points you to and as you search on the private property website uh all the people who put who get the answer right 
um, and are able to identify where the riddle points you to uh, will be entered into a draw to walk away with 5,000 rands. And of course, we're also going to be making sure that you also stand a chance of winning uh, the grand prize that we will be uh, also having. We will be announcing the winners every Friday right here live on the Private Property Podcast. So that's a competition for you to look forward to at home. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun, not just on our social media pages, but also, of course, on our website. Talking about social media, if you want to follow me and always keep up with what's coming up in the show and other property matters, then do make sure you follow me on Twitter as well as Instagram on at Zamandunga underscore K. Well, to get started with our conversation this evening, it's one of those very contentious uh, and very picky issues because we deal with it very often and I always say that we're always going to uh, deal with it because increasingly so many of us are living in community schemes and there's so many different things that we don't quite understand about community scheme living. I mean, I've always shared about how I'm, I'm low-key heartful of it uh, and actually just want to move out and not live in a community scheme. But also, of course, I love the convenience of it all and not having to attend to certain things because I know that touching on this evening is understanding the exclusive use areas inside intersectional title schemes. So if you don't even know what the exclusive use area is, you certainly want to make sure that you stay tuned. If you want to find out what you can and cannot do when it comes to the the exclusive use areas and how you can perhaps go about changing the rules when it comes to it, because I know some of you sometimes tend to ask us about that quite a bit, then do make sure that you stay tuned. Also share, of course, your views around, um, or certainly your experience around sectional use areas in your own uh, complexes or estates that you live in. I'm sure a lot of us have a lot of those issues uh, where we live, when we live in sectional title communities. And the person who's going to best help us understand, uh, you know, the exclusive use areas is uh, Oren Fer. You see, now I'm stumbling over his name, and I was so proud of myself earlier for not stumbling over his name. Uh, it's Oren Freitas de Santos, who is the founder and director at the advisory. Oren, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Zama. Thank you for having me this evening. It's only a pleasure, Oren. I don't know, I was doing so well when we were off air. Now we're on air. I feel as I'm just going to accept that this this episode, they're just menu gremlins from starting late to, uh, you know, stumbling over your name. But Oren, of course, we're talking about, you know, the exclusive use areas and getting a better understanding. I think before we even look at the nitty gritties, what exactly is an exclusive use area in a sectional title scheme? So exclusive use area is one of those weird concepts that I've always found weird in in the context of a community scheme because the very nature of a community scheme, right, is community spirits, things are shared, people live close in, in close quarters, it's highly de- it's, it's densely populated. And now to try and add in a concept of exclusive use into that mix seems like quite a, a weird dichotomy of, of, of concept. So I think that's why it's quite a misunderstood concept, um, as one of the concepts I find most misunderstood in, in community schemes um, is a wide variety of them, and you've alluded to your hatfulness about community schemes, but um, one of the concepts that are misunderstood is, is exclusive use areas. So to answer your question, an exclusive use area, in effect, is a piece of common property which has been demarcated for a specific owner in the body corporate to use for their exclusive use at at the exclusion of everyone else in the the scheme. Now typically 
The exclusive use area is a garden, for instance, that's attached to your section or a storeroom. Um, also most commonly is a parking bay or a garage. And then there are other ARB examples like an attic or um, even the external walls of a commercial building where um, sign, signage needs to be installed, so that type of thing. So it's a very creative as, um, concept that that bodies corporate use to allocate various rights of exclusive use to owners. And I mean, Oren, when we look at community scheme living, we know that there can be so many contentious things. You've got strangers living in one yard. I mean, I always say, I always share with my viewers how when I first moved in here, the, the idea of, you know, I park my car and as I'm walking to my apartment, I'm bumping into strangers, but where you're in my yard, but it's also your yard. So, I mean, there are just so many things that can happen, um, especially when you're not quite used to it. What are some of the perhaps common issues that you tend to find occurs when it comes to common use areas? Hmm. Now that's, um, a very a very widespread issue is in community schemes is where some some people in in a scheme would assume that they have have a right to exclusively use uh, use a, a portion of common property and the most typical example is parking yeah now parking gives me days of fun um, when dealing with clients on, on the disputes around parking and, and parking typically is allocated as exclusive use um, areas. Now, that's that's where the most confusion arises when you purchase into a body corporate believing that you have a dedicated parking bay and two weeks down the line you, you get home and someone's parked on your parking spot and you're all up in arms and you, you go to the trustees complaining that someone's in your parking bay only for them to advise you that, sorry, you actually don't have an exclusive use right to this parking bay and your estate agent who sold you the place was clearly mistaken when they pointed out your parking bay and either your parking bay is all the way on the other side of the complex or it's a free for all where, where it's a first come first serve sort of scenario. So that's. That's one of the, the most common um, examples. Other examples um, which are a bit closer to home would be owners that believe that they have excuse, exclusive use rights over their, their um, garden areas or their backyards. I need to, I've, I've had quite a few interesting consultations with clients about neighbors who just enter into their backyard and start fiddling in their garden and putting on uh, popping up a, um, a pop-up chair on their lawn to, to suntan or what have you mm. and for them to then realize I don't have exclusive use rights to this garden so it's in fact common property and that, that owner is, is free to sit there and sunbathe in his speedo and I can't do anything about it. Mm, mm, mm. And, and I think you know it's one of those things that does catch people off guard quite a lot um, because I, I mean I remember when I bought um, this specific property you know one of the things was the attorneys you know, making sure that they stipulate that the parking is in fact for exclusive use. Um, and, and I remember you know, wondering, okay, why, why must they almost like double check that that is the case? And, and I think it was only months later that you realized that actually 
there can be parking walls in a lot of complexes, especially where there actually there essentially isn't enough parking spaces for people who live there. I mean, oftentimes there are two bed, three bed apartments, but each apartment is allocated one parking bay. So it, it, it certainly does create quite a lot of chaos. I think often when we speak about the, you know, the issues of sectional title community schemes and some of the issues that people sometimes find, a lot of my guests always point to how the three big issues that will always come um, come up when you're dealing with sectional title communities is, you know, people, pets, and parking. And those are like the three pressure points almost consistently, uh, whether it's people not knowing that they can or cannot have pets, or of course, as you were saying earlier, just fighting over parking. So now, Oren, how do people then go about rectifying this? I mean, you find yourself buying into a sectional title community and you perhaps didn't ask for the rules or you weren't aware that your parking bay, for example, is not for exclusive use. What are some of the steps that people can take to try to remedy this? Because as you can imagine, especially for people who've bought, uh, you've now thought I'm probably going to be here for a couple of years, even if it's not obviously for the full 20 year term, but you're certainly going to be living there perhaps let's say for five, seven up to 10 years. And that's not an issue. You, you don't want to be parking in different places all the time, right? That, that's like going to the mall, it's such a headache. So what are some of the steps we can uh, actively take in order to resolve it? So as with, with most things in life, prevention is obviously um, is, is always the best route to take and you would want to identify any exclusive use rights before even signing your offer to purchase and in order to do that, let's unpack what the two types of, the, the two types of exclusive use rights that the sectional title legislation um, acknowledges or, or caters for. The, the first type is what we call a, a registered exclusive use right or, or a, a real right. And this is a right that is registered in the deeds office. You receive a, um, a, deed, a title deed to that area. So as part of your transfer, you're actually gonna be signing documents for that. It's a, it's, it's a very identifiable right. You can bond it if you need to. You can take financing out on it. So those are what we call first um, first prize exclusive use rights. There's never any doubt about them, no confusion surrounding them, um, and they're quite easy to identify. Uh, the second type of exclusive use right is the one that uh, causes most of the of the issues, and that, that's what we call rule-based exclusive use rights, or personal, what's a, a, a mere personal right. And that is an exclusive use area that has been established in terms of the body corporate's um, rules, so either the management or the conduct rules. And the the difficulty that comes in with this is in the past, before the Community Schemes Ombud Service um, came to the fore and, and, and was established in 2016, bodies corporates, whenever they changed their rules or updated their rules, they filed that with the deeds office. Now, that filing process didn't go through any vetting by the deeds office didn't go through any approval process so it was a simple fact of of getting a rubber stamp on your rules and filing that and there were instances where rules weren't filed or weren't or the plans weren't included in the rules that were filed because no one was checking them and then now you sit with a situation that there's such confusion around where in fact these exclusive use areas are who have they been allocated to so very, very, very important when you purchase into a scheme, ask the estate agent to 
call up the most recent management and conduct rules of this body corporate so that you can have a look at it and then if you see that this set of rules does not have a layout plan in which the um, exclusive use area has been identified and the location of it is identified and allocated to a unit then I would say approach with caution because clearly there's some um, confusion around these and it's going to lead to dispute so that's the prevention that you need to to look out for before even stepping on that landmark now if you've missed the boat and you've you were excited to sign your offer to purchase and now you're in your body corporate as a member and an owner of your section and there's confusion around the exclusive use areas the only real way to to remedy that would be to either create um, registered exclusive use areas and have that um, your, your sectional plans updated and filed in the deeds office and have each owner issued with a um, a title deed to the exclusive use area that's the one option but that requires a unanimous resolution so it is it is it is impossible almost to to obtain yeah. that i was the about to say that that's borderline impossible yes uh to try and get everyone unless everyone gets everyone is benefited by the um decision but that's almost never the case because that's why there would be a dispute because two people are fighting over one parking bay the, the other option would be to create exclusive use rights in terms of your rules. So either in, in your management rules or your conduct rules, now depending on which set of, of rules you go for, you have various levels of approval requirement, uh, approval requirements. So management rules, again, unanimous resolution, conduct rules, a bit easier, special resolution to have those exclusive use rights established. So that's how you go about remedying that if there isn't exclusive use rights. Mm. We are, of course, taking your questions and comments at home. We're talking about uh, understanding exclusive use areas in sectional title schemes. It is one of those issues that you, if you don't know about it and you end up living in a community scheme, uh, may potentially become an issue. So you certainly want to make sure that you include up on it as much as possible, especially if you want to be buying into sectional title communities, because you tend to find that uh, you know, so many issues tend to come up once you've bought, you find out rules that you were not aware of, perhaps you didn't ask the estate agent before buying. So these are some of the issues that we tackle. And I think when it comes to section, um, exclusive use areas, they do tend to be very contentious. Some people want to, you know, set up uh, and, 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 and we'll deal with this a little bit, or I think one of the things that we sometimes find, it isn't so much an exclusive use area, but you'll find that in community schemes where, for example, there is a, um, let's say, a courtyard or they've got the clubhouse, then one of the, um, this is one of the trustees, you know, almost sees some kind of business opportunity and wants a little bit of, you know, a little section of the, uh, of the clubhouse and, and they want to be able to use it exclusively, which of course, you know, is, is impossible to really pass. And I think sometimes they want to use their weight as a trustee um, to say, look, they can't do this even though they actually can't. And so those are some of the issues that we sometimes tend to find. So if you've had any issues with your sectional title uh, community, especially when it comes to exclusive use, do share that with us down here below. We are taking your questions and comments. So we've got questions on Facebook. They're coming from uh, Fahan Siddiqui, who asks, um, 
he's asking questions regarding trustees. He's asking, is it only owners that can be trustees? And say, and he continues to say, can a non-owner be a trustee? Maybe your daughter owns the house now and the mom wants to be a trustee. Uh, what are the laws according to CSOS? Okay, so to, to, to answer that question, the, the, the easy answer is you do not need to be an owner in order to be a trustee in your body corporate. The prescribed management rules specifically allow non-owners to be trustees as long as they are correctly nominated and elected at an AGM, they, they're more than welcome to serve as a trustee. You know, I'm certainly interested to know, Oren, um, when, you, when we look at the trustee composition, uh, suppose you have you know three trustees, would it be possible that two of them are actually non-owners and only one is an owner? Because I can almost foresee uh, you know, a low-key coup or you know, certain trustees uh, or certain owners nominating two trustees who are not owners um, in that you know, sectional title community in order to push their own agenda. And we see this all the time. I mean, there's always uh, trustee agendas every time there's sort of a new trustee that comes on. You, you find some who never leave their post. They've been chairperson for many years. Uh, and everybody knows that you, you know, whether they are you know, leading with an iron fist or making sure that their friends or family members get all the contracting work in the, in the complex. So how does that composition um, essentially work? Yeah, so I think just before I even get into that, I think it is quite a frustrating thing for, for most people in community schemes where it's it almost, it's akin to what, what I find quite frustrating about American politics and how the administration changes every four years and they change so drastically. So you would have the Republican Party and for four years you have certain policies and they work towards getting achieving those policies and then a new uh, Democratic Party comes in and they change everything and, 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 and executive orders left, right and centre to change everything so they never really get anywhere and I think that in the context of a community scheme applies quite well as well where every single year every trustee automatically needs to resign right so they they, they resign from their post but they are eligible for re-election now there's in, in certain schemes just this power, um, this power shift every single year, and the body corporate doesn't get anywhere. They don't achieve any of their of their long term goals and what have you, and it's quite frustrating. Um, so that's just a, a, a general observation that I, I find uh, quite common in community schemes. But with regards to your question on the ratio between owner trustees and non owner trustees there is no specific or prescribed ratio. So it doesn't say that the majority have to be um, owner trustees. If the body corporate owners believe that it would be in the best interests of the um, body corporate to in fact have a majority um, owner or, or even even trust, even owners or, or occupiers who reside permanently in the scheme to be on the board of trustees, they can simply update their management rules to uh, make provision for that ratio. And sometimes it is good to, to have that in place because then you have people that are invested in the body corporate that live there every day, they have hands on as opposed to someone sitting in New Zealand who doesn't um, even read their emails about their body corporate. Mm -hmm. It certainly does make quite a big difference when you have 
you know, owners who live in the community scheme versus those who are potentially only renting. Uh, you certainly, you know, I think you take more ownership as a trustee when you live in that particular context because you are dealing with the issues, you are seeing them every day, it's, it's your home. So you want those matters to be attended to as efficiently as possible. Uh, we've got another question here coming from Facebook. This one is coming from uh, Utsepo Mukhubuti. I actually love this question. Uh, he says, let's say my kitchen sink mixer is installed onto the wall and I want to change the plumbing pipes for the mixer to be on top of the counter. Um, to be on top of the countertop. What are the ways of going about this since you are only liable for interior renovations? Okay, so she seems to be referring to, um, is that the question there? Okay, so she's wanting to rearrange the plumbing um, within her kitchen. Yeah. And how to go about that. So the, the general rule of thumb in a body corporate specifically is if the changes that you plan on making have no impact on the external appearance of your section or any impact on um, the, the the common um, util utility pipes and, and all that type of thing through the building, then you can go ahead and do that as long as it's obviously within reasonable hours, that you're not working after hours. At, at 11 o'clock at night and, and causing an un, unreasonable disturbance but as long as you're not affecting the external appearance or the change or look of the look and feel of the um, building there, there should be no issues there whatsoever mm. or how would you then go about you know dealing because and this is something that i've actually encountered before where um you, when you look at you know the piping that goes through, I'll say that, I'll essentially say the developer did incorrect piping, to be quite frank. So when you look at the piping, it's one of those complexes that have, uh, you know, three floors. So the, the, the geysers are at the top and the water runs through, so the hot water runs through inside uh, somebody's unit servicing the two units below. Um, and typically we know that th those would you know be outside but in the in this instance they're actually running inside the moment there's now an issue with uh, that particular pipe we know that everything that's inside your walls you deal with if there's you know any flooding inside your walls you deal with but now these pipes they are servicing other units below you but they're the ones that essentially have an issue how would one go about remedying that because you wouldn't necessarily go cut off people's water supply um, because you're just like, listen, I'm hurtful. This is not my problem. Um, you'd want to obviously find a way that works for all parties. And one of the things that's probably clear is you don't want these pipes here because of whatever you know reason. So what are some of the active steps that you know people like that can take? Because I've seen it in some of the uh, you know developments that have been built, not so much very new, and it's also not the very old ones. Uh, because, but unfortunately, we have seen certain developers, you know, cut corners when they've been building, and that becomes a very big pressure point. Because any plumber who comes in will be like, "Well, that wasn't supposed to be like that," uh, and yet here you are, you've got a big complex that's running, and that's something that uh, some of the owners have to deal with. Yeah. So that's a very interesting question, and it's in fact quite an interesting innovation that the sectional title legislation as a, as, a, as a new as a brand new concept introduced at the time of um, the promulgation of that of the sectional titles act and um, 
specifically section 27 of the sectional titles act creates what we call an implied servitude over um or in favor of an owner of a section whenever he has to receive water this is a good example that you've raised so if i need water from a pipe that runs through three other sections and over a piece of common property then into my section i have an implied servitude over those sections in question as well as the common property to have that pipe run over that section and that implied servitude entitles me the right which has to be exercised by the by the body corporate and i'll explain what that means in in, in practice in a moment but it offers me the right to have re, to have access to those sections on on reasonable notice to enter into the section and have that pipe repaired um, if it's preventing me from receiving water so if you in your example you're on the on the bottom floor and the guy above you there's an issue with the hot water pipe that's running to, to your section but through his section if there's an issue you need to notify your your trustees because the trustees have to exercise that right on your behalf so what the trustees will then do they approach the owner give him a notice to say listen um we're giving you reasonable notice whether that be 24 hours or whatever it is you need to grant us access um, so that we can remedy the um, the pipes in your in your section, and because it's because that pipe feeds more than one section, um, the the fact that it's within a person's section is is irrelevant. So it doesn't um, absolve the body corporate's responsibility from um, repairing that. So it in fact is a body corporate obligation because of the fact that it it feeds more than one person. So now it essentially becomes common property. So the body corporate needs to enter into the section, fix the pipe or the leak or whatever it is, and um, do that on behalf of, of the owner at the bottom. That's mm -hmm. what that implies. And that implied servitude is such a, a misunderstood concept as well. And it's actually not a, not a well-known concept by a lot of owners in sectional title schemes. But if you, if you took the time to read your title deed that you receive um, from the deeds office when you purchase, read through the finer print you'll see you'll see it mentions your implied servitude and in and when applying that in practice it becomes quite interesting um to just know what your rights are mm -hmm. and and i mean Oren, i can already imagine perhaps let's say the owner at the top not wanting to give access to uh you know the plumber to fix it uh or to deal with the issue because they would uh, perhaps they would say listen this is my place i don't want anybody coming into my place so then in instances where you, the plumbers are not giving are not given access uh, in order to be able to address the issue how do we go about solving that because i can already just think conflict somebody's thinking this is my house you now suddenly want to you know i mean if it's a pipe it's running through walls so you essentially want to break down a wall you want to do all kinds of things uh and and it's very and you're probably not affected at that time because you're fine you've got your water you're sorted but there's somebody else who at that moment would be struggling so how would we then best remedy that so that's where where this concept of an implied servitude becomes very important because it establishes your legal basis upon which to take legal action against this owner who is preventing access into their section. So in the absence of, of an implied servitude, what rights do you have to enter this person's home? You don't have any rights whatsoever. But now that you have a, a, a statutory created right in terms of section 27, you can then approach um, either the courts or possibly CSOS for an order requiring that person 
in terms of section 27 of the sectional titles act you give you access and that person needs to comply with that order um but you would you would usually find in practice once it's explained to that person that that there is in fact a servitude that he he, he has a legal obligation nine times out of ten they, they open the door for you um because it, it, it's a, it comes at no cost to them right because it's a it's a body corporate obligation so really it's a bit of inconvenience for them to open it but that's why the the act requires that um inspection to take place within reasonable hours as well so um but would it be reasonable to ask the person to open the house at 11 o'clock in the morning when most people are at work maybe not so after hours is probably more reasonable um so it's just finding that reasonable balance but people need to understand and this is a concept that's also misunderstood or not misunderstood i think it's just blatantly ignored um, by people who purchase into a community scheme is that you are committing yourself to communal living so you have to give and take you have to live and let live and allow people the opportunity to enter your space and it's, it's you're not living on a farm somewhere um secluded and in isolation you're sharing your space with a lot of people and sometimes it's uncomfortable and sometimes it can be messy yeah and that's why it's so easy for a lot of us to get cut for uh and probably want to uh you know try a different way of living because you just can't get used to uh, community scheme living or and before i let you go any final tip you'd like to share with our viewers at home when it comes to exclusive use areas that they always need to bear in mind especially those who are going to be buying this year we've got a lot of viewers who have ambitions of you know buying whether it's their first property this year or adding uh, new properties on their property portfolio so i think we we went on a bit of a a, a, a lateral movement on the trustee discussion and and the uh, implied servitude so we didn't get to quite a few important points that I think it's is worth discussing uh, around the exclusive use areas, and I think just to to summarise that in a in a nutshell, I'm going to just touch on the most common mistakes that people make um, when dealing with exclusive use areas, um, and hopefully we, we've got two minutes to do that. So, the the most common mistake is um, owners not being aware of exclusive use rights, whether they have them or not, or don't have them. So that's always point number one: figure out whether you have your rights and whether they are um, registered or rule-based so that you have that peace of mind because um, you would tend to assume that when you walk into your your lovely new home and you have this fenced off garden in the backyard you would assume that that's yours it doesn't necessarily mean that it's yours it could be common property and you need to allow people in there so get get that, that get that sorted the the second miss the second common mistake is the failure on the part of the body corporate to recover what we call exclusive use right levies. So because you've been given an exclusive use right over a piece of common property, the nature of the um, maintenance obligations in respect of that area changes. So the body corporate remains responsible for maintaining and repairing and, and, and keeping in a good state of repair. But the, the obligation to cover those costs have now been shifted to the holder of the exclusive use rights and what body corporates what bodies corporate fail to do is to recover exclusive use right levies from their owners so very important for the trustees to listen closely on this point is if you know that there are exclusive use right um, areas in your scheme are you collecting um, exclusive use levies and those exclusive use levies 
cannot just be a thumb suck like I see in practice quite often where people say okay you need to pay 350 Rand for a parking bay it doesn't work that way what you need to do is every single year you have to prepare a accurate um, um, as, as accurate as possible summary of the of all costs necessary to defray the cost of repairs maintenance insurance all that type of fun stuff relating to exclusive use areas and once you've established that amount recover that from your own from your respective owners on a monthly basis mm. and then the the last and I'm, I'm sure we've run out of time so the last common mistake is in, in schemes where where the trustees believe that there are exclusive use rights they tend to assume that the body corporate has no obligation to maintain that area so they leave it to the owner or the holder of that right to maintain and repair and paint and keep it nice and pretty but the fact remains is it's common property so the body corporate has the responsibility to maintain and repair that area so if your garage if you have an exclusive use garage exclusive use right garage and your roof starts crumbling or, or, or there's issues with the roof the body corporate can't wash its hands on the fact that there's that it's an exclusive use area the body corporate has to step in and repair that yes they can recover the costs from you but they need to actually make sure that they, they have routine maintenance to ensure that your roof doesn't collapse in on you. So that's three common mistakes I think every scheme and owner should be aware of. Um, and uh, this is quite a dense legal concept, so it would have been nice if we had more time. But um, I think we've covered the, the basics for owners to understand. And one of the great things, Oren, because we come live every day, is that we'll certainly be inviting you back on uh, to get a, a, a better understanding. I think, if anything, this is a fund, foundation to uh, exclusive use areas. We love talking about community scheme living because increasingly so many of us are living in community schemes, especially, of course, if we're living in the major metropolitan areas. So better having a good understanding of living in a community scheme, what you can and cannot do, uh, mistakes to avoid, what you should ask up front before you buy into a community scheme. These are issues that we certainly love exploring here on the Private Property Podcast. We'll certainly be inviting you back in the future so we can look into some of those issues. Orion, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you so much, Zama, and there's never a dull moment with community schemes, so I look forward to our <laughs> discussions. Uh, that, thank you so much. And that is Oren Freitas de Santos, who is the founder and director at the advisory. And that brings to this, the end, rather, to this evening's show. I did say earlier on that this show is filled with many gremlins. Uh, I'm very glad that we're able to get to the end. We didn't have any load shedding, although at some point uh, my light bulb looked as though it wanted to turn off. It certainly has been a pleasure to be with you this evening. Uh, do continue sharing your you know, experience of sectional title living and also some of the issues that you want us to tackle when it comes to living in a community scheme because there's so many and they're so varied and the reality is they have legal implications. It's not just uh, you know a thumbs up or a thing that you do because you feel in a certain way. Uh, there's a legal framework that governs the way that we live in community schemes and what we can and cannot do. So if there's still certain issues that you're a bit uncertain about, then do drop us a line down here below and we'll make sure that we either bring Oren back or of course other experts to help us better understand that issue. Well, that's it from me, Zamantung Wakumalo. It has been a pleasure to be with you this evening. Remember to 
enter our Sherlock Holmes competition, we have shared the clue on our social media pages. We want to make sure that you also go onto our website in order to look for uh, where the clue leads you. And I'm going to leave you the very capable hands of Umbali Nogo, who's coming up at eight o'clock with the Farming Podcast. Until then, hope you stay home and stay safe. Ooh, ooh.